0: Today's reading is Luke two forty one to fifty two. It can be found on page nine hundred forty six of the Bibles next to your seat, as well as up on the screen. Every year, oh, this is God's word. Every year, Jesus's parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, "'Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you.' "'Why were you searching for me?' he asked. "'Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house?' But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And as Jesus grew up, he increased in wisdom and in favor with God and people. The word of the Lord.
1: Will you join me in prayer? God of grace. Some of us look uh, look at these words, and we have the opportunity to view them as unchanging words amidst uh, a changing world. As we transition between 2011 and 2012, we look forward often to changes, or sometimes we fear them. But this now is a time; it's an opportunity to look to something unchanging your words and they point us to you and your grace is unchanging and whether or not we are eager to know about that and to grab hold of that or we are questioning all of this for the first time or whether we feel like we're on the way out unless you prove yourself to us wherever we are today i pray that you will speak through these words and speak to us with your grace and show us that even though when it all comes down to it we're all the same we're more of a mess than we care to admit to anyone that the truth is these words keep telling us over and over the same thing that you move towards us in grace you move towards broken people with fragmented lives who year after year just can't seem to get it together on areas of our lives that we wish we could and you move towards us with grace relentlessly do that now as we listen to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we start a new series here with the new year, and it has to do with meeting Jesus. It's a chance to think about actual stories from Scripture that tell us about Jesus, and then uh, picture almost picturing ourselves learning right along these characters in these biblical stories who meet Jesus. These are encounters with Jesus, and they're all from the... Gospel of Luke for this whole month. Um, one of the first questions that maybe comes up is, why did we pick this story today? Why this story of Jesus um, in between? He's not the baby anymore. Um, he's not an adult. He's kind of in between. He's 12 years old. Um, it's it's an interesting story. It's, Luke is the only one who gives us a story, and Luke is... Known as being, in terms of the way he writes the gospel, he's known as being a sort of relentless uh, fact-checking researcher. And so he's gone and gathered his stories and made sure they're accurate. And so he ends up having all this extra material about the birth narrative. So it's the preacher's favorite book to go to around Christmas time, and all these stories about Jesus coming to the world and predicting it and it happening. Um, most, a lot of that, most of that that you hear around this season is from Luke. And then there's this passage that you can almost just skip right over. Well, I think Luke includes this, and we're including this today because what Luke knows is that in this little story that he found out about, about Jesus, is contained essential information for you and I as we consider ourselves meeting Jesus. Really, think about it this way. These are the first words out of Jesus' mouth. That we know of, that we have on record, these and it's not very much. You, you're likely to skip right past it and go, "I have no idea what that even meant." Those that little interaction, him and his parents. What are we to believe about Jesus from that? Who knows? But in here is something. I mean, certainly the first words out of Jesus' mouth—they have to mean something really important, and they do. So let's let's look at them. We're going to look at how they point us to two things really about just who Jesus is, and the first is that he confuses us so that we might know him and the second is that he serves us so that we might treasure him so if you're going to know jesus he's going to confuse you so that you might know him and he's going to serve you so that you might treasure him let's let's go at the first the first is a little more involved and the second will feel more like a footnote after we get through this first point so whether or not you're someone who who is professing faith in jesus viewing him as god's son or or whether you're not you're likely to be confused by jesus if you really give him a look if you really pay attention let's think about those you know if you're in the shoes of not professing jesus what are you likely to, where are you like to likely to be if you don't profess faith in jesus you're either you know you're either uh, committed to a different religion or you maybe view yourself as secular um in your mindset so where you're going to land is you're probably going to say what so many people I hear say, is that Jesus is a good teacher, and, he, and, and you're, you're likely to put him right there along a lot of other good figures throughout the history of mankind who have had some kind of uh, deeper spiritual or moral impulse and say, you know, I'm going to put him side by side with all, he's a great person, I give you that. nothing more so that's that's the likely place that people land today that you might even be landing as you sit here today now the problem with that is that if you line that up side by side with luke's fact-checking researching method of telling the story about who jesus is it doesn't line up it doesn't corroborate with what we know about jesus over and over again you'll find that 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 you can't if you really are paying attention to jesus you can't remain in that kind of position just we just look at this story The background on it is Jesus is 12 years old. And so this is a very important year for Jesus in his culture and in his time and and, and in his family. This is the year where he's approaching the big year, 13, where he he moves into manhood. And so it's a year of intense mentoring and teaching and side-by-side instruction by his father. So as they are uh, coming into Jerusalem... For this once-a-year festival, and they're traveling in a caravan, and they get there. Joseph is mentoring Jesus, not just you know on the family business, the carpentry, the building, whatever, but he's also now, especially now in this trip to Jerusalem for the Passover, he's mentoring him in faith and in the important events of faith, especially the Passover. So they're, so he's explaining the unleavened bread and how it, it it points back to to God saving the people of Israel, our people and freeing them by, you know, the blood on the doorposts of a, of a killed animal, saved, atoned for, somehow covered over the people and, and they were freed from Egypt. So Joseph is going into this kind of stuff. He's walking by the temple and saying there's where sacrifices are given every day by priests, you know, and explaining all of the history and theology of things. So that's sort of what's going on. Uh, when Jesus, all of a sudden he gets lost and they can't find him, which isn't necessarily that um, strange of a concept in their culture and in that time. And so it takes them about three days, we're told, to get back and find him. And then this is the interaction where Mary says, and it makes complete sense, in verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. That makes that makes Those statements make all the sense in the world. You notice how she leads in with your father? <laughs> your father and I, uh, this, uh, this year of all years to dishonor your father who's mentoring you and you're making your way into adulthood? How could you of all times, of all years? And Jesus basically says in reply, this is where it gets confusing. This is where he confuses us so that we might know him, where he says, I was honoring my father. I was at my father's house. And, and there's layers to this, to Jesus' response. It's so, so brief, but there's so much here in, in his rhetorical questions that he asks them. There's the fact that he talks a brand new way about father. And then the second thing is that he answers their rebuke with a rebuke. Let's just look at the father thing just real briefly is that when Jesus said um, in verse uh, 49 when he talks about my father's house this is, this is basically Mary and Joseph witnessing their 12 year old son reinvent a whole new way of talking about God. I mean, talk about you know, maybe rolling their eyes or just whatever you can imagine parents doing to a preteen who's who's kind of riffing on the Jewish theology. But basically, there's nowhere in the Old Testament where people talk this personally about God. Sometimes the father is used in the Old Testament, um, but it's as a, the source of a nation. It's not my father. Nobody was grabbing hold of that kind of personal connection to God as my father. So... That's the first confusing and astonishing thing. And the second is that he basically rebukes his parents in return. He answers the, uh, Mary's rebuke with his, a rebuke of his own. In verse 49, he says, Why were you searching for me? And then he says, Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? It's a double rebuke. It's why, why were you searching for me? You know, it's a rebuke for searching, and it's a rebuke for not knowing. What, didn't you know? And commentators who who write about this and who who see what's going on here all agree that what Jesus is doing is he's basically saying my relationship with God my relationship with God relativizes and supersedes my relationship with you. Now that's confusing and confounding. He's basically saying I don't have to obey you. Mom, Dad, Dad I don't have to obey you. And he's the first 12-year-old to ever do that and have something deeper under the surface that are really behind what he's doing there. You know, this isn't, he's not angry as he, say, he says it. He's not saying, you know, like you can imagine, I don't have kids this old yet, but, you know, you, why don't you ever let me go to R-rated movies with my friends? You know, or I don't know. This isn't Jesus just being mad. This isn't, you know, he comes off precocious, but he's not precocious because he's trying to define himself against his, over against his parents. He's not trying. He's not precocious because he doesn't know who he is. He comes off precocious because he knows who he is. He really does. And in our culture, in a lot of ways, we're not comfortable um, with this sort of um, unrestricted, just grabbed hold of nobility that Jesus shows here as a 12-year-old. In a lot of ways, we believe that noble figures must struggle with great self-doubt and self-actualization before they grab hold and arrive at their nobility. And so you have, you know, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan and you watch the movie, you'll know, you know, you read the book and Aragorn seems, seems pretty confident, calmly confident the whole time that he is the king and he's going to be the king. You see the movie, he's a little more, he's waffling, he's unsure, he's wrestling with the issue of his nobility. We're not quite comfortable with that confidence. Even G- representations artistically of Jesus in The Last Temptation of Christ or Jesus Christ Superstar. You have this adult Jesus who's questioning his identity. He doesn't know who he is. Jesus is 12 years old here and he says, I know who I am. <laughs> it's, it's shocking. It's confusing. It's surprising. But basically, it goes to say this. If you're going to end up meeting Jesus and walking with Jesus and having some kind of relationship with him, he's not going to let you remain or he's not going to let you keep him side by side along all these other figures in the pantheon of gods and gurus and teachers he's going to say I am unique, there's nobody else like me I am the unique son of I'm the unique son of God and you can either you've got to either accept me or reject me on the basis of that confusing identity but please don't just put me all alongside all the good teachers and gurus of the world never what jesus really claims to be even when he's he's 12 years old and he already knows this uh, but he, you know that's how jesus confuses you if you're professing faith and you're trying to figure him out but even those who are believers who are grabbing hold of jesus as the son of god they can expect to be um, really confused and confounded by jesus as well and it comes down to these three simple words that he says to his mother i had to i had to didn't you know i had to if if you become baptized and walk this journey of the christian faith and maybe you begin you know devoting parts of your life uh, to god and prayer and your finances you start tithing you start coming to church you start praying you start meeting in a small group you start all these things and you imagine this is pretty pretty normal to imagine that now god will bless me and answer my prayers and um, life for the most part will have more of a clarity to it now than what it did before. Things will go well for me in a sort of pleasant way in 2012 if I'm faithful and devote. But you know, many of you are sitting here and you did all that in 2011 and you know, <laughs> you know that there are things that you look back at this year no. You have things in your life that you threw it back at God like some of the psalms, the prayers in this book, allow you to do. Throw it back at God and say, why is this happening? Why is this happening in the health of a loved one that I know? Why did this happen with respect to my job? Why did this happen with respect to my finances? Why did this happen um, with res- respect to just an identity confusion I had this year? Why did this and that happen? And you throw it back to God and you've had, you could be as devout as you want and you'll have times where you look at it and you say... It seems like the only thing God is saying in response to my questions for clarity is it had to, or I had to. It just had to go that way. It's what Jesus says. He says it in other places in in the Gospels where his answer is basically, this is just how it has to go for my plan of salvation. Uh, Are you ready, in a sense, to know that being in a relationship with Jesus, knowing Jesus is going to put you into places where you're going to end up just getting those words, and that's, that's the clearest it's going to get, at least in the short term. This is just how it has to go. Elizabeth Elliot was um, um, she's still alive, I think, but she's, she's getting up there in years, and she's been a lecturer and a teacher, and she was originally a missionary, and she wrote this book, her, no- her only novel, called "No Graven Image." And she got a lot of flack and letters from the Christian community in the United States for how she presented um, life for this main character in the book who's a Christian missionary and who goes out on this, this noble venture to bring God and the word of God to people who knew nothing about him. And, she, and this, this missionary goes to this tribe, it's fiction, she goes to this tribe and everything falls apart and then the book ends. <laughs> You know the, she gets there and she's making good connections and the one person who can help her really translate the Bible into the native language and is helping her and is actually starting to believe all this stuff himself she accidentally kills him and the tribe expels her and the book's over. Now she got all kinds of flack for this, and in fact, um, people notable uh, one notable person she says that kept the book off Christian bestseller lists, you know, the year just so that more Christians wouldn't read it. And the idea was that's not God wouldn't do that to faithful Christians. And she basically said, you know what, that's 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 fiction, but it's it mirrors exactly what happened in my own life. <laughs> not only for herself, but she's also the missionary who she was married to um, um, Jim Elliott, I think, was her husband who was. Who, who got together with these missionaries to reach this tribe in South America, and they got together the night before they were going to go meet this tribe, and they sang this song of God be our shield and protector. And the next day, when they went out to meet all the tribe, they were, they were all speared to, to death. And they left behind children and wives, and that's, that was her husband. Basically, the, the idea is are, are you prepared for this kind of God? This God that, as she puts it, this is how she explains it. She says, God is God. This is Elizabeth Elizabeth Elliot. God is God, and I dethrone him in my heart if I demand that he act in ways that satisfy my ideas of justice. God is God. Are you prepared to have that kind of encounter with Jesus where the best answer you get is, I had to? So he confuses us so that we actually might know him for who he is. But he also serves us so that we might treasure him. And if you're, if you're, getting confused by Jesus ever in life, and and he should confuse you as you try to get to know him, then you also need to know this: you need to know that Jesus is bent, he's geared, he's totally driven towards serving you in the ways that you need to be served. Most and if you begin to know that, if that the penny begins to drop a little bit, that that is true in a real way for you right now, then you will begin, like Mary does, as this story comes to a close. You'll begin to treasure him as well. Um, and base, basically, this is this point is the great reversal. It's essential. It's e, the essential great reversal of the gospel of the central message of the Christian faith that. This Jesus, the one who could ask you to give him everything up front, the one who could come to you and say, give me everything up front, approach me, come towards me, move, here are the things you need to do. The God who could approach you that way decides instead that the way to reach your heart, the way to get you to treasure him, is to give all of himself to you first before you've done anything to deserve it and that's the gospel that's the explosive power of knowing Jesus not that you become baptized you go through this baptism you join a church whatever it is and you then are handed this this list of the strict new unique Christian teachings the things to do now that's not where the explosive power is found in the Christian uh, message or in the Christian faith the explosive power is in knowing deeply for yourself that God has served you God has served you um and so if you think about the story that way, look at what Jesus does. In verse 51, it says, now this is, after he, this is after he's already shown us that he's very confident in his nobility, in his connection to God. He's basically given himself permission to be out on his own now. And what does it say he does? Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. He served them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. This is the pattern. And I want you to consider as we close fitting yourself into this pattern where Jesus confuses you and then he serves you and then you treasure him. That the one who confuses you uh, comes through to serve you in the end and then in the end you end up treasuring him. This is what Jesus does with Mary. This is what he ends up doing with his disciples as he um, repeatedly tells them Towards the end of his ministry, he repeat, repeatedly tells them, "I need to go to Jerusalem." I mean, talk about confusing. I need to go to Jerusalem, and they're they're going, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, you're going to be Messiah." And he says, "And they're going to arrest me, and uh, I'm going to suffer, and they're going to kill me, and on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead." And they're utterly just—they—they they have no clue how to understand that. It's totally confusing and confounding. But when they finally get to Jerusalem, what does Jesus do? He puts on a towel. And he washes their feet. He sim- does symbolically the thing that the lowest servant does. He confuses them, but then he serves them, and they end up treasuring him. Have you experienced any of that? Where are you at in that process? Eh? And really, it can be a process. I mean, ma- many of you maybe know that this summary of 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 the Christian faith that Jesus gives, the summary of the Old Testament law that he gives, is. Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself but where does that even come from that comes from treasuring God which goes back to him actually knowing he serves you which goes from being having the teachable moment of being confused enough to even listen have you been confused enough have you chased down Jesus enough and listened to his word and listened to and studied him and read about him and prayed to him and, and for him to be real in your life in such a way that maybe you've finally gotten confused enough that he might then serve you and have you have you found at all the place in your heart the deep need that you have going on in your life right now that the grace of God absolutely intends to satisfy you in a way that no other resolution this year no other good thing that could happen could satisfy you have you found the deep need in your heart that only the cross of Jesus and his forgiveness can unlock and finally settle your heart because if you do then you might begin to taste a little bit a sense of treasuring Jesus that's no small thing and it only comes in small doses even for the greatest of followers of Jesus but have you begin to to get some sense some little taste of uh, actually treasuring what God has done for you in Jesus I hope we have a lot of that at City Life Church in 2012 will you pray with me Gracious God, would you help us in this this church to be humble enough to be confused by you, not to know everything, not to need to know everything. Teach us to trust you and through your word and through this community and through the ministry of this church, would you reach into our hearts and satisfy our deepest needs so that we treasure you in our heart and find that giving our lives to you just flows naturally out of our experience of truly meeting you and meeting your forgiveness in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.